Welcome to Mastering Data, where we sit down with inspirational leaders in data and IT to hear their interesting career journeys and lessons learned. Each episode is packed with valuable insights and tips for those looking to excel in the world of data. So, whether you're just starting out or a seasoned professional, join us and get ready to take your data skills to the next level. Welcome to the Mastering Data Podcast, the show where we explore the stories and experience of extraordinary individuals making a significant impact in their respective fields. I'm your host, Adam Morton, and today we have the pleasure of sitting down with Jeremy Francis. Jeremy is an experienced financial services technology and operations leader with over 20 years of experience, which includes companies such as Westpac and Pepper Money. Today, Jeremy is the COO at Helia, a leading provider of lenders, mortgage insurance in Australia. So welcome to the podcast, Jeremy. It's fantastic to be here, Adam. (laughs) Great. I'm glad you're excited about it. It's a long time coming as well. I always do this at the start of the podcast. Let's go way back to the start of your career. So I had a look at the career history on LinkedIn and your profile, and it seems fairly stand from a look at all in Australia, either finance or banking. I just read that and think there's got to be more to the eye than what I'm seeing in black and white. So it'd be great just to hear you explain that kind of journey. Yeah through the different companies that brought you to where you are today? I think in high school, I kind of started to get interested in a career in technology, really not actually having a lot of interest in technology. And I think it was probably at that time where I was thinking about how much money am I going to earn? Oh, yeah. Um, where, yeah. where do I want to head? Yeah. And uh, and then I, I got to university and within the first year, I kind of realized, I validated the fact that actually I wasn't really that passionate about technology. And so, <laughs> um, but, but, but I stuck with it and leaving uni and starting to work, I kind of started to find these niches where you were probably a lot closer to the operations of the business and you know in my case it's mostly banking and lending and, mm. and financial services and and that actually was something that i i did get really passionate about and over time i i did start to embrace technology more and, and <laughs> start to love it that's live right to love it. ended up really you know many years later in in the role i'm in today i'm lucky enough to be able to have the operations and the business side of a role with technology all all under the the coo banner and um it's been fantastic and just before we kind of delve into some of those roles that you touched upon you started with that technology kind of mindset and then gravitated towards more operational mm-hmm. aspects mm-hmm. is that where your passion is because you kind of like that kind of variety in and you know the the day-to-day operations rather than the more strategic stuff like what would you say in terms of that it's really less about operational and more about the workings of an organization. Mm. Like I think that that's really fascinating. Even organizations that appear superficially to be quite niche. Helia, its main product is lenders mortgage insurance. It's one part of a big chain in the banking and financial services system. Yet, yet you start to peel open the layers of that part of the, the value chain and there's all of this complexity. It's, it's beautiful in its complexity. Right? And, and, <laughs> and stuff that you wouldn't expect as well, right? Yeah, everyone's like one standalone product. Pretty straightforward, but like you say, when you start peeling the layers back, Absolutely. then there's a lot of vari- variability in there, right? Yeah, and so that bit's fascinating. And so, you know, applying operations and technology to that is kind of where I've got to mm. in terms of what interests me. Yeah. So let's just go back to when you were the head of IT at Westpac for a capital finance area. So that seems to me like a step change in terms of moving into the larger financial organizations, more kind of strategic, more visible roles. Do you want to just talk to me about your kind of time at Westpac and then moving on to like the business bank and technology role as well? And just the kind of things you got involved in, what you kind of learned about yourself and how that kind of influenced the next steps in your career? I started actually doing a lot of work with one of the other major banks 
very early in my career and then went and worked for a number of medium-sized organizations and then through a whole bunch of buyouts found myself back at another major bank <laughs> couldn't get away um, yeah and so you know and, and it really stands out you know the differences between a company like pepper money and helia compared to a, a westpac you know i think what the banks do is a really good job of putting in place structures for their people that really allows them to provide a great employee experience when you're in something like technology though you can spend 12 months building a business case to then work on a project that could go for three to four years. Um, coming from a lot of medium-sized organizations where you would turn that decision around very quickly and have implemented something within 12 months, mm. it's a culture shock, right, yeah, to, yeah. to go back and forth between those types of organizations. And mm. so, you know, I think what Westpac did was teach me a lot about managing at scale. You've got major teams often distributed geographically all of the complexity that comes with that, it's its an amazing learning opportunity. And, you know, I see a lot of people come out of small organizations and move into banks. And I and think that's harder. a great thing to do. Right? <laughs> it's much harder. It is, well. it is, a, good thing to do. It is yeah. a good thing to do. But it's really good to see both sides. Mm. And certainly I've landed in the view that I like being able to work on business initiatives that can be turned around quickly to be able to see the results and the outcomes that get delivered in the work that you're doing and being able to be really close to the strategy, which is a lot harder yeah. than those bigger organizations. Yeah. And as you say, it's a fine balance, right? Because similar to you, I work for a large financial organization really early in my career. What I didn't appreciate at the time until moving to small organizations was that really good grounding it gives you in terms of the right disciplines, mm -hmm. doing it at scale. Mm -hmm. It comes with some trade-offs, the red tape, the hoops you've got to jump through. Yeah. What things would you say that you take from that environment then that you were able to kind of move and take into sort of the role then at Pepper Money? Look, I think you've answered it, right? You get down to a much granular level of detail about how mm -hmm. things work and you do it in an environment that's highly governed. And I think the opportunity coming out of the banks is to be able to say, how do we look at governance and think about it as a fit for purpose application? Often the banks don't have choice. They've got regulators, they've got compliance, yeah. they've got this really highly governed environment. Being able to go to a smaller size organization and say, let's do the right amount of governance and try and get that balance between going too far with it, mm. but making sure there's enough that you manage in the environment properly. Yeah. And can we just talk about Pepper Money yeah. briefly in terms yeah. of what your reasons were for moving from from Westpac into a smaller organization and then the kind of projects that you worked on there at a high level and kind of your experiences there? The reason for going to Pepper was really I wanted to get back into that that mid-size environment. Okay. More again. agility, Correct. easier to do things, yeah. make an impact. That's right. So, you know, I went from managing a, a very large team at Westpac because of the scale of that organization to managing a team of, you know, a very small team of six people in Pepper Money originally. Yeah. A few years later, the CEO asked me to come into his office and say, congratulations, you're going to be the, the, the CIO for Pepper Money. I always kind of imagined that would be a question and a conversation. Okay. But, um, so you, you kind know, of knew Mario what was coming? That's, that's kind of, he's okay. like that. You know, just, <laughs> this, is, this is what you're doing, so, yeah. which has been fantastic, right? And Pepper Money were a really fascinating business because they'd been started by a couple of guys who were really interested in investing in different businesses, businesses around the globe. They're in a huge number of countries and were moving into countries that, you know, I certainly hadn't had a lot of exposure to, like India and Indonesia and, yeah. you know, sort of exciting places that maybe hadn't been touched a lot, certainly through my career. And so that was a really good opportunity to work with the Australian business, learn from what yeah. was happening over in, in different jurisdictions and start to get engage very broadly across all of the technology pieces in that business. Yeah. And, and that must have been quite challenging in different respects, right? Because that's kind of relatively new to you at that point in your career, albeit 
you had to manage distributed teams at Westpac, as you mentioned earlier. Where did you sort guidance from elsewhere externally? Or have you had any mentors, informally or formally? And what role have they played in kind of shaping your career and how have they supported you in the past? I had a guy that I'd, that I'd worked with that was previously CIO at Bankwest many years ago, and, and I hadn't spoken to him for a while, landed at Pepper Money, got asked to do the CIO role, got told to do the CIO yeah, role yeah, um, by Mario, and I called Tony up and said, hey, mate, look, I've done a few roles like this before, but this feels like there's a lot going on mm. and, and I need some help. And Tony came in and having worked in, in so many other organizations as a CIO, dealt with all the politics, mm. understood the complexity of managing everything from a you know a service desk through to a project management office through to IT and cyber strategy and mm. and being able to help me think about how to think about the role it was really important it made a really massive difference and i think coaching and mentoring particularly at an executive level is is so critical and i think it's why you see so much of it happening right okay and what would you say the best bit of advice that he give you or, or his approach that yeah. helped you? His line was the, the role of a CIO is to extend the corporate attention span. It's a really good line. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, I think it's it's something that I've taken through my career with me because it is easy as a CIO to get kind of stuck into, you know, the run and the delivery mm-hmm. side the of detail. the role when actually you've got this unique perspective that often others around the management table don't necessarily have. And so it's kind of reminded me constantly in the roles that I've done since to think about how am I extending the corporate attention span and am I I kind of living up to Tony's dream? So, (laughs) And it's great that you had access to to somebody like that because I think being in those kind of roles, COO, CIO, et cetera, can be quite a lonely position at times. Or do you see it's quite hard for others to seek out kind of mentorship, whether that's informally or professionally? Because it's great you've got somebody like Tony there, right? Yeah. But but I don't think many people have that luxury. No. And it's also really hard to find the right person because... <laughs> yeah, you gel with. Correct. You need someone who's different enough to you that they're not going to just create an echo chamber of mm-hmm. your own ideas. But you also need someone that kind of gets the challenges that you've got and you know there's whole books written on this on this topic mm, right so yeah. we won't go into it but finding that connection and somebody that you can trust but will also challenge you is is a really difficult balance i was i was lucky with tony bringing us up to date then helia Genref as it was known probably when you joined previously Correct. yeah what was your reasons for moving there what attracted you to that role and kind of what does your kind of high level role and responsibilities look like today Pepper Money had been such a good experience and and I was actually really enjoying it there. But the opportunity to do the chief operating officer role where I could plug in all of the operational side of, of an insurance business. The, that you enjoy, the right? people underwriting, the people yeah. the people managing loss and collections and, and claims. It was such a good opportunity. And the CEO at the time wanted somebody with the technology background that could do both and it was just it was too good an opportunity to to pass up and Mm. and occasionally you know pepper money were the same occasionally when you get offered a role you really buy into the strategy of an organization Mm. i think particularly with technology teams you want to be working somewhere where the strategy is ambitious enough that excites you something that's right gets you up in the morning exactly exactly i think everyone sort of says oh you you need to be challenged and yes that's true you want to enjoy it and have fun and be working on things that are interesting and at a high level in jeremy has it transpired that way so the the vision was kind of set from a a technology kind of change transformation perspective i know personally from doing work with you previously that there's a lot of change going on has it kind of lived up to those expectations that you had and has kept you interested kept you excited high level you just describe that journey 
Yeah, it has. You know, I think with all strategy, you know, it lasts as long as you've written it down on a piece of paper for right. And so has it played out exactly the way? Well, no, but I've never worked on a strategy where that's where that's occurred. Um, have I got to do really cool and exciting things? Have we got to do things that are innovative? Are we being able to bring out products to market and to our customers that nobody else is doing? Absolutely, right. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so it has been a really exciting journey so far. You've got your phone next to you, right? It's buzzing away all of the time. It yeah. makes me think about work-life balance and it's yeah. such a busy yeah. role. No doubt people are trying to get hold of you all the time. Yeah. Don't realize that you're here. Is that something that you thrive upon? I um, talk to a lot of people in similar roles to you, other organizations, and they seem to be meeting after meeting after meeting, right? Yeah. Um, not for everybody, but yeah. I think that kind of energizes some people. Mm. How do you feel about that? What does your role look like? Is it meeting heavy? And how do you find work-life balance amongst that? It is meeting heavy. Like I think that's not unusual to where I am at the moment. The fortunate thing about the more senior that you get in an organization is that you tend to have more senior people working for you. And so it's important sometimes to just remember that the more that you go down the management chain, the less experienced a lot of the leaders are. Mm. I'm, I'm lucky to have a, a team of super experienced people and a boss that that provides coaching as well as <laughs> operate as a boss. I have no desire to work till 12 o'clock at night, mm. every night and get the laptop out every Saturday and Sunday on mm. the weekend. Do you have strict boundaries then to manage that yourself? Like no. How- no. Okay. No. I, so you're just fairly disciplined. I, I think you just, you know, I think you have to be disciplined. I think it's 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 good to be flexible. Am I going to get through the whole year without having to work a weekend? Absolutely not. Am I going to go home every Friday night and spend the whole weekend on my laptop? No, mm. I'm not going to do that either. Yeah. Right? So, and then again, you probably don't expect that from your teams, right? Because that's your your ethos, your mentality as well. You begin to run in. Yes. You've got a podcast called Aussie Runner Podcast. Correct. Right? Yeah. It's on Spotify, iTunes. Leave or, a rating. Yeah, available everywhere. But one question I had about running in, in specifically, you're into like long distance running mm-hmm. as a discipline. What have you learned from running long distances or sport in general that you've been able to apply to the workplace? Yeah. What kind of top three things would you pick? Because I'm a big believer that sport is a good metaphor mm-hmm. for life and there's lots of crossover, mm-hmm. lots of things that you could learn. So I'm really intrigued because long distance running is painful. It's hard. You question why you do it, usually in the middle of it. So I'd love to hear, like, what have you learned from those experiences that you've been able to take some of those core free skills maybe and apply them to the workplace? Yeah, I'm a marathon runner. I'm just going to pick one. This is a bit easier. The problem with the marathon, it probably gets overused as an analogy for life. I think the key lesson that applies equally to running and work is understanding how to pace. And it sounds like a really easy thing to do, but time after time in races, you see people who are going to be running for the next three, four, five hours, just head off the start line like a bull out of a gate and find that by the time they get to the 30, 35K mark of a marathon, that they're really hating life. When you cruise past them. That's exactly right. You know, I think about the work that my running coach does with me. He doesn't just say, just go slowly at the start and fast at the end. He says, take your watch off, listen to your body, listen to the feedback that you're getting from your body and work out how it feels to run at different paces so that when you get to the race, Mm -hmm. you don't need the data and you can adjust whether it's hot, whether it's cold, all the different conditions that you get on race day. And you can intrinsically listen to your body and know how your body's performing and use that as the main guide mm-hmm. so that you can get through the 42Ks without blowing up at the end. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's about pacing and and works very much the same. You know, I, you know, I think about some of the work that we did at Pepper Money and it was a great learning ground to work out how to move really fast, right? You've got an innovative 
company trying to bring products to market really quickly. But that doesn't always work. And so what I've learned over the years is, and my CEO drives this into me you know, very regularly, is that you've got to pace at work as well, right? Mm. You've got to go fast enough that you're keeping the momentum of the business because things are changing all the time, but you've got to go slow enough to make sure that at the end of the day, you've got a really quality piece of output or a really quality product or a really quality deliverable or you're delivering a really, really quality strategy. And so pacing is is really key to that. And striking that balance. And I guess playing that long game to a degree, right? Because you don't want to shortcut lots of things up front and then have to pay the price later. Exactly right. what you were saying about it's, it's exactly people right. that start too quick. You mentioned earlier that you've got a lot of senior experienced people now reporting into you. Yeah. One thing I'm personally curious about is culture and how you embody the culture and make that prevail across your teams or, or influence the, the behaviors of people, whether that's through the existing people you have there, whether that's through recruitment. I love to hear the kind of some of the principles in because culture is hard, changing culture is hard, it takes time. And I don't think anybody's got a can wave a magic wand and change it. So what's your approach to that? And how do you kind of try to create a high performing experience team? I think there's so much theory around culture and it gets so complex and confusing. And I think if you asked 100 leaders, not only would they all say different things, but most leaders find it really hard to to pinpoint. I mean, you can talk confidently about it, but mm. trying to pinpoint what are those things that actually have the biggest influence on culture? It's not that black and white. If I think about my leadership team, they constantly will ignore the advice and the direction that I'm giving them. Now, I, don't mean <laughs> at a, I don't mean at a strategic <laughs> level, right? As a leader, you've got to recognize that you have to set the pace and you have to set the direction and you have to set the vision. But actually the people in your team often make better decisions at the next level down mm. than you can make, right? And I want my leadership team to feel okay to ignore me and to say no and to say, actually, there's a better way of doing that. And and that makes me uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> but my experience has been that actually that leads to better outcomes. Okay. And having experts and people that are really good at their job and not listening to their ideas and taking them seriously and allowing them to go and set that direction themselves mm. feels like a really big mistake for leaders to make. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I think it comes with it, you know, you have to be very secure in your own skills to be able to take that on from certainly people more uh, relatively junior in your team it's for them to come and give you feedback and say, no, I think there's a better way of doing it, yeah. you know, yeah. and and not everybody is is okay with that, you know, in my experience. So I think it's a sign of maturity to go, oh, you might have a point there and it could be another way of doing it, you know, as hard as it might be. Do you think you kind of reach there or is it still kind of a, a journey then for you? I think with every in different individual, it, it's always a journey. I, I remember saying to my wider team about a year ago at an offsite that I really want to encourage people to come up and just be honest. Mm. Now, it sounds really good. Like it sounds all, you know, like what a great leader and all that. But actually, um, it can be quite confronting when people actually listen to you and, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. and, and are honest, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Um, so you have to be you have to be careful what you wish for. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And so just the other half of that question about attracting talent mm. to fit the team, post-COVID, it's changed a lot of things. People now are wanting more autonomy, wanting to work more virtually. Initially, there was a real kind of talent drain, certainly here in Australia, but globally, those, those same repercussions were felt. Yeah. That's starting to change a bit now where there's, there's, there's more people on the market available and looking for jobs at the moment just because of the economic kind of recent decline. But what is your approach to kind of finding people uh, that in terms of the roles that you get involved with recruiting and what do you look for in people? Yeah, it's it's been fascinating how the job market's mm. played out over the last couple of years. It's, it's been this really vicious up and down yeah. cycle of 
almost impossible to find someone to then then find in the, the market. It's got all these people <laughs> yeah. all of a sudden, and yeah. um, and it's really difficult for candidates to adjust their expectations of salary because it's easy to say I can now get paid this much, but when the market turns, you have to be a lot more realistic about it, and yeah. it's, that that's been really a really difficult conversation for for a lot of candidates to be having. The culture that we've built. Certainly at Helia is one where we want the team to be really comfortable with constant change. We don't have a structure or an operating model, certainly for my area, that that we set at the beginning of the year and then we review every year and mm. do some structure changes. We, we're changing it on, a, on an almost fortnightly basis. And so the key thing for me in any candidate is someone that's going to come in and be flexible enough to constantly deal with change. Mm. Um, and it's and a I hard don't mean, skill. Do you it, find it hard to find? It, it's incredibly yeah. hard, you know, and but and you find people will opt out very quickly. Mm. I think traditionally we've all grown up in organizations where actually there's always change, but not necessarily at that operating model and, and structure level. You know, I think the other thing that I find really difficult is we don't want people to come in that maybe at a bank might have been in a role like a data engineer where where you've got this very clear silo of what a data engineer is and as soon as you step out of the bounds of that role that's a different team yeah we can't afford that at helia we want a data person to come in who is happy to who might have engineer experience but is also happy to do business intelligence and to learn a little bit about artificial intelligence mm. or to get into data governance and actually broaden their skills still having that core capability but broadening allows them to get exposure to more things and make them more marketable it also means that from an organizational perspective we've got a much more versatile individual in the team and that allows us to change and pivot even more yeah and, and flex to work demand as well right it's interesting what you said i think the majority of people maybe would feel uncomfortable with that level of uncertainty and that level of change. But the people that do like that would thrive in an environment Absolutely. like that where they can turn on to anything, get new skills and put their hands up for stuff. So I think it's when you do find that group of people, they might not be in the majority, but I think they would really excel in an environment like that. Has that been your experience? Yeah. Having those hires in? Yeah. I mean, I think even people that maybe at first don't like the idea of it actually get really attracted to the fact that they're constantly learning mm. they're constantly learning new things but actually they're delivering a lot and they're never stuck in one space so they they're always being moved around into different positions and and you get this sort of versatility of the individual and and some people love that and yeah. some people don't and that's imagine. fine i'm looking for one and not the other what's one of the things that you're working on at the moment at a high level again project wise or initiatives that you're really excited about at Healy at the moment we're like a lot of organizations, we're really, really digging deep into artificial intelligence at the moment. And it's hard not to find that exciting. Ignore it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and I think, you know, it's, it's nice to move beyond this idea of uh, let's just get process efficiency. Mm. Let's just get more effective and, and start to think about how these things can be applied in different ways. You know, I think Healy has got a really interesting strategy that's looking to do new things across the business but also is an ASX listed APRA regulated entity and so compliance and governance are really important to us as well and you've got this just this is amazing tool set that's kind of just matured suddenly in the last 12 months that can be applied to all of those things and you know I, I find that really exciting. I guess just before we wrap things up one thing I'm interested in is some of the challenges that you faced in your career what would you say like some of the major challenges are that you've faced because Lots of the roles that you've done, certainly the ones that we've discussed in more detail, have been highly visible, have been people handing you problems and you have to find solutions then. 
people aren't offering you, unless say in January, here you go, here's a problem and this is what you need to do X, Y, and Z. You're the one on the hook then. Yeah. What are the kind of biggest challenges that you face and what have you learned from overcoming them that you can apply today? I think the challenge in technology and operations roles is that it's often hard for, for boards and executive teams to kind of really understand what to do with this thing. And there's, there's, this, there's an appreciation of why it's important. Um, boards today get cyber really well. Now they're trying to really think about artificial intelligence mm. and really think about data and how to position those things. And you've got to go in there and try and simplify what are very, very complex, it's hard. <laughs> complex topics and make them real. And then, as I said earlier, and then once you've got to that stage, try and extend the attention span of management teams and boards so that you can really position the things that you're responsible for and accountable for delivering into the strategic context of an yeah. organization. And it's really, really difficult, right? I think it's an art more than a science. How do you do it at the moment? Do you, do you find like a high value use case that's going to get people excited around the room and then try to say, we could be doing this, this and this? with this kind of capability in place, do you have a different approach? No, look, I think you just have to, you have to try lots of things and mm. all of those things together will land. Having experts, using the technology partners and the operations partners that organizations that you work with and getting them in to come and help educate like we do with, with intelligent, bringing experts in to help educate the organization, allowing people to go through their own education journey, doing experiments with some of this work, using regulators to help Oh, really? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I don't think there's a simple answer to how you do that and, and trying lots of things and taking a really broad approach to it off on the way. And one of those will land, lots of them will land. And again, giving it a little bit of time um, is in, and patience is always important. Patience. Yeah, I agree. Before we wrap things up, I mean, we've looked at, you know, your career today, we looked at what we're doing today, but what about the next five years, let's say, yeah. do you have a plan? Are you somebody that has a plan and follows a plan? Are you going to go for flow? Kind of what's your thinking and what kind of areas would you like to get into more in the future? Mm. I've always had a plan, but the plans never really worked when it came to my career. So I've got to the stage now where I've just given up on, <laughs> yeah. on having a plan. Finally. <laughs> um, certainly the role I'm doing today, you know, I, I'm really enjoying. And, and that wasn't because I was out there looking for a COO role. It came up and mm. it felt like a good opportunity. And so maybe it's just the laziness in me, but I feel, <laughs> like, I feel like that approach seems, seems to work so far. I don't know where I want to go. I, I want to keep working in the banking financial services industry. I, I like it. I still have lots of stuff outside of work, like running that, that keeps me engaged. Yeah. And, and I think there's a lot more change to come. Um, over the industry for now i'm I'm really enjoying this chief operating officer role and um that's kind of where i'm going to stick for a while so. oh good well listen i think based upon what you've done so far and the kind of areas that you're working in now i think you can add in a lot of value whether that be helio in the future somebody else in the, in the financial services industry thanks so much for your time jeremy you've been a great guest not very often i get the chance to interview another fellow podcast host but thanks so much for your time and being a great guest Look, it's it's really important. I know how much work goes behind setting a podcast up, doing the research, having really good questions like you did. It's fantastic. And you've made me feel very comfortable being on the other side of the microphone for once. So thank you for having me. No problem. You're very too kind, Jeremy. Thanks so much. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks for listening to Mastering Data. Hit follow to get future episodes packed with valuable insights and tips for those looking to excel in the world of data. And if you enjoyed this episode, leave a review to help others find the podcast.